Welcome to the Games and Joke Podcast, episode 67. I'm your host, Jason Ariola, and joining me today is John Lucero. Hello. And today we've got a special guest from Something Classic Games, Tyler Meir. I said Meyer last week, so forgive me for that one. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. So we are here to talk to you about uh, your your game that you've been working on for, I think I've heard you say about three and a half years now you started this thing? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. All right, so the game is Shadows of Adam, a, would you say, JRPG-inspired indie <laughs> Steam game? Yeah, I guess the easiest way to kind of, like, pitch it is it's a neo-retro-styled JRPG. So, like, a 16-bit-style JRPG, but made for the modern era. That's the way we like to kind of sell the product. All right. Um, so why don't you go ahead and intro- I- I'm sure you've done this on every single podcast and everything you've done, but um, tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself, where you were working or not working, but like how you got into working on games and um, and, and your team too, and what you do specifically with with your or with your team. Sure. Well, uh, I'm Tyler Meir. I am the composer for Shadows of Adam. Um, this was actually my first commercial game project that I have personally worked on. Um, a couple of us in something classic, um, well, specifically Tim Windor for our art director, have uh, experience in the in the business. Uh, Tim was involved with the company Zynga, oh, okay. uh, which made a bunch of the, uh, I, th- I believe, like uh, Farmville and Treasure Isle, those like uh, Facebook social media games. Mm-hmm. But all of us uh, have our roots way back in the early 2000s in the RPG maker community. And a uh, quick disclaimer that I always give, Shadows of Adam is not an RPG maker game. So I'm only saying that because people ask, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't, a lot of it doesn't us, look we, uh, like one. So yeah, oh, it does not. Cool. So. No, no, yeah. I love, uh, I have nothing against RPG maker games, but I like to say that. So yeah, we all met in the early, uh, RPG maker communities back in like 2002, 2003. Um, me and Josh Garlitz, who's one of the main developers of, of shadows of Adam, one of our programmers, we had been buddies since we were like 12, 13 years old. And, uh, so that was kind of the impetus of something classic games. We had been making terrible RPG Maker games for years and years and years, which I composed like really crappy middies, and uh, it was terrible. And we had a lot of fun. But we kind of had like a, like a hiatus for several years, and we, we re- reconnected in 2013. I, I had just moved to Nashville, and uh, I was getting ready to go on the road with a band called The Mavericks. It was like my first big gig. And uh, <clears throat> Josh contacted me on Facebook kind of out of the blue. This was October 1st, 2013. I remember this because we had our first rehearsal with the band before we went on the road. He basically just sent me a message, said, hey, Tyler, uh, let's make another game. I want to do like an 8-bit mobile game. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool. He's like, would you like want to like compose some like chip tunes for us? It's like, yeah, man, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. So I did the rehearsal, and I got really excited, so I went home and I like composed the battle music like that night. Boom. Cool. In the bank. And then uh, one thing led to another. I'll give the short story. Uh, me and Tim happened to post on an old gaming gaming forum like the same day. We hadn't posted on the forum in years. We happened to reconnect that day. He was looking to do some pixel art, and we had we were looking for a pixel artist. One thing led to another. Tim's involved. And then Tim uh, had worked with a guy named Luke Watcholtz, who had made a really famous RPG Maker game back in the day called The Way. And uh, brought him in to uh, write our story. And then later on, Josh brought in Ty Darren, our fifth member, who's another great programmer. And that's kind of how Something Classic Games started. So that's the short version. 
if I'm recalling correctly, you ended up taking this to Kickstarter after you had been working on it for about how long? Let's see. So we kickstarted at the beginning of last year, 2016. Okay. We launched from January. So we had started, uh, let's see, October 2013. So almost two years of working on Shadows Batum. We had um, we had like an hour-long demo when we went to Kickstarter. Okay. And we had probably spent about $10,000 of our own money just getting art assets. And so we had like a near alpha build by that point. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, we, we had worked on it for quite a while before we even showed any any public screenshots. I think we didn't go to Twitter or Facebook until like summer of 2015. So it was quite a while in development. It went through a lot of stages, like I had mentioned earlier. It was originally supposed to be an 8-bit mobile game. And obviously it's not that today. So it has a, a very interesting and tumultuous uh, development history for sure. So how many uh, how many different versions of this would you say you kind of like went through, scrapped, and was like, okay, let's kind of reconvene and try something different here? Well, so, yeah, like I mentioned, it was 8-bit, and uh, that like was pretty much scrapped like a month or two in. Once oh, okay. Tim came in, he started kind of making pixel art, which looked like decent Game Boy graphics slash early 16-bit. And then the music I had written, which was all chiptune and and uh, that kind of stuff. It sounded extremely out of place. So everyone's like, Tyler, look, I hate, I'd already written like seven, eight tunes by that point. He, they said, you know, we need to upgrade the sound. So I bought some samples and did that. And then we had like a, we had a running intro for a while that is not in the game anymore. And about six months into development after doing that intro, after Luke had completely rewritten our story to be much better and kind of tweaked it, he, he just was never happy with the intro. So he said, you know, Guys, I know we're already in development, but we got to redo this intro, completely rescrap it, just start from scratch. And so we did that about late 2014, perhaps. And then at that point, I would say, uh, and we we were kind of on our final draft of the game. Uh, Tim had gone through about three different art styles. He he started himself. It was supposed to be a very simple, low resource intensive game. So he's made a very basic template with like a, not a lot of colors and. Uh, it was going to work, and then eventually he started outsourcing some really nice pixel artists who sort of um, made the palette better and um, updated the graphics. So about 10000 bucks later and about a year and a half later, we were finally <laughs> on like what you see now as Shadows of Adam, nice. which is where we were at at the time we went to Kickstarter. Okay. Yeah. So once you got to Kickstarter, you kind of had finalized what you had as far as the vision of the game goes. Yeah, I would say once the Kickstarter was done, it was basically just full steam ahead. Like, we've committed to what we have, and we just used the rest of the year to polish and finish it. So there were no major changes at that point. Um, Well, believe me, as as somebody who's backed a few Kickstarter games, and I've seen them change quite a bit over the course of uh, their (laughs) development cycles, it's like, I I really do appreciate you more or less coming up with a, a final product to bring to the table when you go asking for money. So it's, it's kind of nice to have that. I unfortunately missed you on Kickstarter. I would have probably, eh, I would have backed it, but it's just like, yeah, some of the other stuff I've seen, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but it's like they come, it comes out and I'm like, Oh, this wasn't really what I number was nine. Expecting. Yeah. No, I didn't back my, I'll name names. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I'll name because, I mean, I imagine a bunch of developers when they do go to Kickstarter, they're going early in the process to get the funds to create the game. But as I had mentioned, we were almost near an alpha build, so we had pretty much all the areas mapped out. We had a significant amount of the graphics done. We had put a bunch of our own money in already. And so we were too far in to like do a major revamp at that point. Um, 
you know, I, I've always thought like if we did another project and went to Kickstarter, like what would be the best timing to do like or ask for that investment? If you do it at the beginning, then you do run the risk of say like a year and a half in realize, hey, this isn't working, and the game we sort of promised is not going to be our final vision, and then changing it, and then perhaps dealing with some salty backers. It's tricky for sure. Yeah, there's always so. there's always some stuff to kind of consider there, but I, I do appreciate what the you know the way you guys handled it. So. Um, now, as far as the game development goes and like the battle system, where, where did you guys have any specific influences you were looking at? I mean, I know clearly it was going for like the 16-bit era stuff, but, you know, it definitely doesn't play exactly like that because it seems to, like of a better term, respect your time a little bit better than a lot of those games did. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, that's nice to hear you say that because that was definitely uh, like a design tenet of ours. We wanted to respect people's times and I think a lot of that was simply due to the fact that, like, the folks that grew up playing these 16-bit games, which I'm sure you guys are probably in the same demographic as me. I'm 29, so when I was playing these games, I was 11, 12, 13. And, uh, you know, my life's a lot different then. Like, I was longingly the other day thinking back to, how did I have the time to freaking level 100 everyone in Final (laughs) Fantasy VII and get golden chocobos? Like, I don't have that time anymore. Yeah. So, uh... And also, uh, you know, just like having that big of a vision is also tough for game development perspective. But um, yeah, we definitely were aiming for uh, what we called simple done well. And uh, to have a game that sort of respected your time and um, didn't penalize you for playing in small bursts. So one of the first things we decided, and this was actually influenced by, um, believe it or not, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, (laughs) which is a game not... You know, longingly the, looked on. Yeah. The, the battle system totally shows that influence, at least. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, objectively, Mystic Quest isn't a great game, but they did some interesting things. Yeah, so, you know, that uh, was one um, of our... Oh, if you don't mind me interrupting real quick. Uh, um, go ahead. Please. That was one of the first things I noticed, like, battle system-wise. I was looking at it, and I was like, where have I seen this, like, perspective before? Because it's not a common perspective. And I was thinking, it's like, because I had just played like a copy of Lufia 2 that I had just sold off. And I was like, is it Lufia 2 I'm thinking of? And I started Googling like SNES era RPGs. And I was like, nope, Mystic Quest. That's that's where I'm seeing this from. So Yeah, definitely Mystic Quest with a side of Lufia, perhaps. But one of the first decisions we made were there are going to be no random battles. Battles will be on screen. Monsters will be kind of in choke points. That was like a first decision. Uh, that was definitely from Mystic Quest. Um, another was we want you to be able to save anywhere. Um, and just keep like, and also like keep the pacing tight, you know, um, keep the story focused. Like these are all deliberate decisions we made. And uh, throughout the development, um, every time a new feature was proposed or a new idea, we basically debated against the central design tenet, which was simple done well. So, um, yeah, as far as influences, mystic quest, uh, chrono trigger, I think, Though our game isn't too similar to that, there's a lot of the same de- design philosophies where Chrono Trigger, I feel, is very streamlined, extremely coherent, very well presented. There's a lot of things to uh, appreciate. It's actually a very short game, too. If you oh, yeah. Think that. People think, you ask people, I saw this in a video, I think it was a pro Jared review of Chrono Trigger, and he says, he was saying this was one of the strengths of Chrono Trigger. He said, ask anyone, just off memory, without looking it up, how long would you say Chrono Trigger is? What do you guys think? Oh, you know I when I just I'm gonna, your gut. I, I played it pretty a few years ago. I don't think it's like 15 hours. Yeah, yeah. But that's I played. Pre- right. I played. I played it pretty recently though, so that that's kind of cheating on my part. Right. But if you yes. ask like someone who maybe hadn't played it since a kid, they go, "Oh yeah, easily 40 hours." 
50 hour. No, it's like a it's a 15 hour game. I mean, it's a short to the point, very focused game. Yeah, which but is why it's I one love... of the most like heralded JRPGs of all time. So there's something to be said. I mean, it's uh, if I'm sitting down and I'm like, I want to play a new JRPG and I want to play a classic one. Sometimes I'm like, I want to play FF6, but then I'm like, man, that's such an investment. Yeah. I don't know if I'm emotionally ready for that commitment. <laughs> but Chrono Trigger, I mean, I've been, I'm replaying it. I'm like two hours in. I'm already like almost to Magus's Castle. So like, you know, it's the pacing's tight. So that definitely was an influence. Um, Super Mario RPG is another great streamlined, fun game. Uh, Lufia for the puzzles. We try to integrate puzzles in a clever way in our game yeah that um, was that was one thing i definitely noticed i was like you know not a lot of not a lot of rpgs do this sort of thing and like lufia was kind of the thing that struck me immediately well um i think uh, our uh, our random encounter or lack thereof system sort of enables us to explore more puzzle mechanics because there's nothing more frustrating than having to solve a puzzle with random encounters yeah, um, I don't know if you had played Fantasy Star 4, but the uh, encounter rate in that game at times could be a little brutal. I mean, just walking from a town to a cave, you could get in as many as like 15 fights, and you're like, I'm already nearly wiped out by the time I get over there. I'm like, I, okay, wasn't really what I had in mind, but I guess here we are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have actually never played a Fantasy Star games, but I mean, um, a lot of the Final Fantasies have pretty infamously high encounter rates, some of the Breath of Fire games. Um, another thing like kind of in the respect your time domain is like, uh, we didn't want you to have to grind. Uh, there's, I mean, uh, like I said, when we were younger, maybe like grinding was cool. And I would just like literally yeah. sit in the submarine in FF seven and grind for hours. I don't know how I did it hours and hours just doing it. <laughs> um, but, uh, I've been recently trying to replay earthbound and I'm almost to the point where I just want to quit because, <laughs> Every time you get to the next area, if you do not grind, you will just get absolutely curb stomped. Yeah. You know what? I was kind of going through just the same like, thing just before I'm trying to think what came out. Maybe it was Yakuza 0 uh, came out. I was playing Earthbound on uh, my 3DS and it just, oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. You you definitely have to put in the grind time for that one. Right. So uh, with the way we, we staged encounters where there's sort of like. I suppose like a minimum amount of encounters you pro- you have to fight to complete the game just based on where they're located. We could sort of balance the game around that. And so our philosophy was, okay, so we want you to be able to win with the mi- minimum amount of battles if you're smart and play strategically. And that sort of also tangentially goes into how we sort of structured our skill and battle system. Um Tim Windorf was mainly our battle designer as far as conceptual and the skills and such and the AV system. But I think everything was built towards a system where every skill was useful, was useful the entire game, and your AP system sort of encouraged you to use skills. So I, I don't know if you guys found this playing the game, but if you ever had a trouble with a particular boss or enemy, you could kind of rethink your strategy and usually come back and do much better if you had like a nice plan of attack. Rather than like saying, oh, I better just go grind for an hour, you know what I mean? We didn't really want that. As uh, someone who constantly preaches uh, pacing on this podcast, and JRPGs generally turn me off because of uh, random battle stuff, um, I appreci- I greatly appreciated how, how fast this game started and uh, just like the non-random encounters. So, yeah, if you, you guys nailed what you were going for in that respect, at least. I, oh, I thought. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm a little slow to pick up on like what a game is trying to do initially. I got to the, um, I guess like which would, I don't want to spoil anything for this thing. It's such a brisk thing; it's kind of hard not to. But um, the first, we'll say, tower, 
Uh-huh. Um, I got to the boss and I just, I felt like I was getting completely wrecked. And so I went back to the tower. I would go outside or, you know, and grind, basically come back and forth, back and forth and just grind. And I was just like, I kept getting wrecked. And I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And I was like, you know what? Let me, uh-huh. let me mess around with the, with the skills a little bit more. And sure enough, like I started using the skills and like, oh, oh that's what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. Okay. And it just yeah. it clicked. And from that moment on, like. I really appreciated what you guys did with the AP system, um, the different strategies you can take with fights. And let me tell you, once Talon joined in there, oh man, like I, I really got into the system more because like just the buffs he can do with as fast as he is. I mean, you can, you can cause some major damage if you use that double up ability, right? All I got to say about Talon, man, he's like the, he's like the secret MVP of the game. And it's funny because when we were first getting like our first uh, press reviews, we got a, pretty complimentary review but one of the major criticisms was you know i just didn't find talon useful in battle he was he wasn't very useful and i'm like talon's the best character in the game in my opinion (laughs) i mean he he, maybe i i guess their point was he's not useful alone like himself he can do some damage but he's not a huge damage dealer but when you combine them with kellen's like uh um taunt or rally or double up and you start finding interesting ways i've seen people do some serious damage with talon and uh, actually, can I can I give like a little developer tip for maybe the more advanced players that have played Shadows of Adam? There's a particular setup that Talon has, and it requires um, requires uh, his uh, his lucky darts, which give him like a plus thirty to luck. Or I don't know if it's plus thirty, but it's somewhere or whereabouts. Okay. There's another artifact called like the War Fist, which I believe gives another luck bonus. And then there's the Gambler Armor, which is found in the final dungeon. If you combine all those, he'll get like a plus fifty to his luck, which essentially gives him like an eighty percent crit rate. Holy shit! I was like, so if you combine that with his hat trick, you'll probably be critting three times every round. If it's you like combine Donald. that with double up, you'll have six attacks that could potentially all crit. So wow. for people saying that Talon couldn't do damage, he could. You just have to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, and that's one thing I noticed with Talon. Like I, I noticed, like his critical rate seems a little bit higher than everyone else, and. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of gush at uh, Curtis's attack ability, especially like you know I've even seen on you guys the uh, what is it a suplex the quest to suplex everything or something yeah, like yeah. that. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like I like I like him, but man, Talon just like I said, just as like a even just a buff character, like he's just great, and he mm-hmm. I think he's just got a lot of utility to him. Um, right. Especially um, is it uh, Azrael? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah early on i found her just incredibly frail and just like i just she was just getting wiped constantly and yeah. once talon got in there i would just as soon as like a bigger battle was started i just cast blur on her and right it's like oh okay mm-hmm. now she's now she can actually be capable and you know i don't have to worry about resurrecting her every you know two turns or so right she definitely uh she definitely can get knocked out easier just because of the kind of armor she wears but um she can. She's pretty flexible too, because I mean, she basically covers the entire gamut except for buffing. She can't do any buffs. I don't. Except for her, I guess she puts a shield. She can do a shield, which yeah. is useful. But uh, if you, I've seen uh, her do some major damage too in conjunction with uh, um, Kellen and Talon. I, I feel like I'm just feeling like friendly. Maybe I'll just throw out some more little tips for the people who watch this. Another fun thing to experiment with is my, one of my favorite setups is um, double up. Kellen and then do a double rally on Azrael and then have Curtis like toss an apple or something and have her channel then then follow that up with a double up Wraith Storm you'll be doing some serious damage oh man 
I might get in trouble with the other devs for saying this, but I just feel <laughs> I, it's it's probably more fun if people discover these things themselves. But I'm just I don't know. You talking about it makes me excited to reveal this. Yeah, there's 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 a that's the thing I really appreciate about some RPGs is if they get a battle system with mechanics that I like a lot that kind of invite experimentation. I think you guys did a very good job on that because there's so many little things that you can do. Like my favorite combination when doing a boss, if, especially if it's weak to slash, is um, do rally on um, on Kellen himself, and then have um, Talon do double up for the next turn, and then have him do cleave, and just have that two turns in a row. Oh man, I mean, you just yeah, within nice. two turns, you've you've basically like taken the boss down halfway, and it's just like, oh, okay, cool, mm-hmm. that's it's a breeze there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I was mentioning, like the grinding thing isn't necessarily needed, and um, I don't even know how advantageous it could be. Like you were mentioning with the first boss in the tower, I've seen a lot of folks like kind of get to that boss, and that's sort of that's definitely like one of the first bosses I feel in the game that's definitely a turning point in difficulty because it has like a unique mechanic where it it casts like a shield on itself and charges up a move. So if you can figure out what's going on, then it it's not as like oh, I just need to be super powerful to knock this guy out. It's more like just sort of figuring out, or, you know, and figuring out, because you just get, that's your first battle with Talon, right? So yeah. you're looking at all his skills and you're trying to figure out what they do. So kudos to you for f- finding that out. Yeah. I, I'm I, sorry I, you I, lost. <laughs> I've always been a mechanics guy. Like, I can I can forgive, like, a mediocre story. I'm not saying you guys have a mediocre story. Actually, I want to get into that in a little bit. Um, But if you have a great, like, mechanics built or great mechanics built into a game like it will drive me through a game that i'm otherwise kind of just like eh, i'm okay with this but it's like if, if you've got a great battle system like tactics ogre is one of my if not my favorite game ever and when they remade that for the psp like i i, I would just sit there like just before i go to bed i would just sit and go through like two battles just grinding just because i found the mechanics of the new battle system or the kind of the way they did like the new leveling system so great that I think I ended up putting like 200 and something hours into it. And I only saw maybe two of the like actual endings out of the seven or eight, if I'm remembering right. So yeah, good, a good mechanics thing will keep me in a game far longer than anything else will in a game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's gotta be fun, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think, uh, Luke, another one of the guys that we have on here on on a regular basis, he's kind of always said video game stories are typically pretty silly. So it's like, um, you mentioned Final Fantasy VII. Um, actually, for the longest time, I had a long-standing hatred of that game, and I, I, I think a lot of it had to do with when I got to the crater at the uh, you know like at the very end of the game, my mm-hmm. copy just froze. Like I could not get it past that. It would just lock up. Uh-huh. The disc was just scratched just enough that I couldn't get anywhere further than that. And I think, like, I would go back and try to play it again. And just, like, battle system-wise, like, all the characters kind of felt interchangeable. Like, there was nobody that did anything specifically better than anybody else. Well, except Eris, but, you know, she dies halfway through. So, it's like, okay. Oh, whoa, whoa, spoilers, dude. <laughs> Wait, she dies? Uh, yep, sorry. Sorry, John. Uh, John is actually... I haven't gotten past Cosmo Canyon yet, man. <laughs> this is bullshit. You just spoiled it. John's actually uh, 10 okay. years younger than me. Or eleven, right, John? Because I'm 34. Yeah, I'm 23. So. Yeah. Oh, you're a youngin'. Yeah. So we've <laughs> uh, we, we've actually got a pretty big gap in like the way we've experienced some games. So it's it's kind of interesting. Like I, I appreciate having him on because he's got a different perspective than me on a lot of that stuff. And like you were saying, you know, us growing up in that 16-bit era of RPGs. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
I think I, I don't know how many hours I plugged into uh, Final Fantasy VI, but I mean, it was at least like 90 something, just grinding. And, yeah. Yeah. It was so ridiculous. much you can do in that game. It's ridiculous. And it's yeah, definitely, yeah, I wasn't, Uematsu is one of I wasn't raised game. on the, I wasn't raised on the grind. So it's just, I can't, I grew up after all that stuff happened and going, I've, it's interesting going back to the ones people love. Like, I love Chrono Trigger, but I, Final Fantasy VI, has, I, I couldn't really get into it because it's got that, that slow start. And yeah. a, a slow start can really kill can really kill it for me in a game. So yeah, FF six is definitely like I said an investment. It's it's a wonderful game. Um, it's not as grindy as like Earthbound, Dragon Quest, or Dragon Warrior, um, and uh, like uh, like early Final Fantasies. Like even Final Fantasy four is a little bit of a grind fest. Yeah, but I tried four too, and yeah, I agree. six was definitely easier to get into than four, but still, it's mm-hmm. there's like there's that that wall to get over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that is the problem with a lot of that. I mean, especially I mean, you know, neither one of you guys have played it, but like Fantasy Star Four was like my first Fantasy Star game outside of PSO. I went back and played it. God, I don't know, had to have been thirteen years ago for the first time, and I loved what I played. It was just so grind heavy, and just the encounter rate was ridiculous. I mean, it made any Final Fantasy encounter rate just seem like the most forgiving thing on the face of the earth. It's just like I would take two steps out of town and just random encounter. Another step sometimes, random encounter. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Are yeah. you kidding me? Like, I could, I, you know, um, the, I, I, maybe you would do this when you were younger. Like, I would walk around a town in a square or whatever to grind this way if I ever needed to get back. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I couldn't even make a full, um, like, square around it and not get hit four or five times. Well, isn't it the rule where, like, you only get random encounters when you don't want them? And then when you're actually <laughs> wanting the grind, it, like, you won't get a freaking encounter? Sure, see That's that. always what happened to me. It definitely did. Seem I used that way. to. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever did this, but in Final Fantasy VII, there was like a particular point in a map where if you just held left down, it would like infinitely circle because of the way the camera was. So I figured out a way to like use a rubber band to hold it down, and then I needed a, a turbo con- uh, button on the uh, confirm <laughs> button. So I just left it on overnight <laughs> and put all the uh, triple materia slots. And I would just leave it on overnight and then come back the next day and have, like, all my materia mastered. So I feel I figured out a few little cheats like that. <laughs> the other fun one is on FF6 when you get to that river and you have that um, – Oh, yeah. You have the selection which direction. If you select, like, the first option on one of them, it just goes in an infinite circle. So what you do is you set your cursor to memory and then you set, like, uh, you set, like, Terra to just regular attack and then – Edgar has his uh, auto crossbow and saving attacks, and then Bannon has his health move, which is his free AOE healing. Mm-hmm. If you leave that on overnight, and then you you like have an emulator where you can do a speed up button, I like taped it down. So I did that, and the next day I woke up and I was at like level ninety nine. It's pretty funny. Jeez, yeah, that has a... nothing to do with Shadows of Battle. Oh, we're you know we're ta- we're talking RPG battle systems here, so that's fine. Um, influences, yeah, exactly. These are influence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those are things to consider. Um, and, and that's something else to kind of getting back to uh, Final Fantasy VII. Like we replayed it for this podcast, and I found the PS4 version, which is also the Steam version, a lot more approachable because you could speed up everything. You could basically make yourself invincible if you wanted to. So if you just got through an area where you're just like, I can't get through this, it was it made it easier and kind of killed a lot of that grind that like John would have a problem with. And as I've gotten older and I have two kids, it's definitely become a problem for me. You guys, like I said, I I love that. I don't even feel like I need to grind. Like I literally just plow through each, each area and like, I don't feel the need to backtrack and like, 
you know, like I did that first tower. So it's it's just this nice, I guess, respecting of your time. And that's, that's something as a, you know, 34-year-old guy with two kids who, you know, my time clock on a game might say, you know, 50 hours and I've gotten maybe actually 20 or 22 in it because it's like every five minutes, Daddy, can you get me this? Daddy, can you get me that? So it's like, it's, it's uh, really right. nice to have that. soundtrack of this game um you know i i actually well you know we talked about this a little off the air i just bought it um yes i actually really enjoy it now as far as um you said you play you play in a band is that correct well I, yeah i mean that was i'm i was a freelance trumpet player in nashville but now i play in the uh the navy jazz band in washington dc oh well, so yeah, I've always been a full-time musician. That's been my day job, I suppose. Okay, I make games for fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, as far as um, music goes, like, did you? Is there any specific era or composers maybe that you took inspiration from? Not, not you know, not inspir. I guess inspiration is the right word. You know. Yeah, I mean, as far as video game music goes, I mean, I'm a kid of the '90s, so all the 16-bit and even some 8-bit games like the Mario Brothers. Original Mario Brothers, Koji Kondo, this composer, really great music. Mm. I love the music in um, Mario 3, um, Super Mario World. I love Final Fantasies, always had really wonderful music. Uh, Nobu Uematsu. I always say that wrong. I'm pretty sure I said that wrong. Uh, he has some wonderful music that's really influenced me. Um, uh, I'm just trying to think of like random games. Like A lot of the JRPGs I played, I thought all had nice music. I, I felt if any sa- uh, series had the weaker music, I thought the first two Breath of Fire's and less than stellar music. But Chrono Trigger is pretty much a masterpiece. Yeah. Mitsuda's, Final Fantasy is really good. Yeah, that was, yeah. I think it's like Mitsuda's like just not, not as, not as peak work, but as far as just video game soundtrack goes, as I guess like a typical video game soundtrack goes, that is just a masterpiece of a soundtrack. Um, oh, it's very on, good. On the actual soundtrack, there's a track that I guess they cut from the game called singing mountain that I could, I could listen to that thing on repeat forever. Yeah. I always say this in every podcast interview I do, but, uh, you know, I played a lot of modern games, and they have really nice soundtracks, very cinematic, very orchestral, and uh, that's great. But I, I, I have trouble like remembering any of the music from it. I don't know why. I think it's not there's a sense of there's like a lack of strong melody, and maybe that's just because they have very few limitations as far as uh, software and um, what they can do. I mean, nowadays most video games are like going to record with live musicians, which is I'm a big fan of because that's more work from me and my friends. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like these limitations back in the day, like 
uh, and I've said this like a million times, but like the original Super Mario Brothers, I mean, they had like four tracks to work with, and most of those tracks were shared with sound effects. So I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but uh, if you play Mario 3, um, the sound that plays when you're flying, like that high-pitched mm-hmm. sound, is this in the same track as the main melody of the song. So if you're flying, just listen to the music track. Like <laughs> that main melody track will not play anymore. You'll just hear like the harmony. That's interesting. I've never noticed that before. Yeah, I guess I notice these things because I'm a musician, but it, once you hear it, it's pretty obvious. Just like maybe just stay still, listen to the tune. There's usually like a main melody and then there's like a little harmony underneath it, like in the same patch. And then there's like maybe like a bass line or a drum part. I think but, the uh, first time my, I ever noticed like hardware limitations um, was Mega Man 4 when you charge up the, uh, the Mega Buster and it kills one of the sound channels basically. Right. That's yeah, yeah. the first time I was like, oh, that's that's like, OK, maybe that's where we're like, maybe this is the not limits, but this is like what the NES is capable of. And it's only it only can do so much at once. And it was kind of like, a, right. I don't want to say a turning point for me with like music and how they how, how how somebody would like work it into a game. But I think that was like a big like, oh, OK, there's there's there is limitations to this. So. Right. And uh, I think my. The user uses it to make a larger point, which is that their limitations sort of made them creative. And um, you think of the Mario Brothers theme, and that's one of the most iconic, memorable songs of all time. And it was composed with the smallest of limita- or the biggest of limitations, the smallest of memory size or options. And I think um, maybe nowadays, when composers literally have the entire palette of a symphony orchestra, which is great, um, it it doesn't focus them as much and uh, I don't know. I, I, I played. Uh, I remember I first started noticing this when I bought Final Fantasy XII back like 10, 12 years ago. I can't tell you. I couldn't sing you a single melody from that entire game. Like I, but I can sing you every song from Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy V, VI, Chrono Trigger, yeah. Super Mario RPG, Mario, Bro- Mario 1, 2, 3, Super Mario World, Donkey Kong Country, GoldenEye, Super Mario 64. I mean, I could sing you like every song from all those games. Now, maybe that's just because. You know, I was younger and I played them a lot, but I played Final Fantasy XII. Yeah, but you know what I mean. I can't. I couldn't sing you a single song. You know, I'm going to agree with you. And the the people that or one of the composers, uh, Hitoshi Sakamoto, I think it is, um, also did the soundtrack for Tactics Ogre. And I remember a lot of the Tactics Ogre stuff because I played the you know the original PlayStation or not the original, but the PlayStation port that we got out here in the United States. And they redid it like with with an orchestra, and it sticks in my brain a little bit more. But that's because for whatever reason, you know, the 16-bit whatever was coming out from the Super Famicom, like that stuck in my craw all these years. And it's like, okay, so this is this is something. There's something to be said about working within the limitations of what of, of a system, rather than just I can just do whatever I want. Um, if you, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Matoi Sakuraba's work. He does a lot of the Tales of games. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's got a very, very distinct sound and I, I do enjoy his stuff. Like one of it for all its flaws as a game, I think Batten Kaitos, uh, a, a GameCube RPG has like one of the coolest soundtracks I'd ever heard. It was like, I think really the first time I ever knew who he was, but every time I'd ever heard him after that, I was like, Oh, that's Matoi Sakuraba. Oh, that's Matoi Sakuraba. It just, it's a very, very distinct thing. And then he ended up doing the soundtrack for Eternal Sonata, uh, Xbox 360 RPG. And it expanded a little bit, like, what he was doing. Like, a lot of the stuff, I wouldn't have guessed it was him. 
And then I find out he actually did, I think, the first two Dark Souls soundtracks and just a complete departure from those from what he was doing before. So it's like, so he does have this breadth of, I guess, composition to him. I don't know if I'm using the right terminology there, but it, it <laughs> seems like he kind of pigeonholes himself a lot with a lot of the stuff to kind of like prog rock type stuff. And then occasionally mm. when he just gets to do whatever he wants, he does stuff like the Dark Soul soundtrack, which is... You know, kind of in the same vein of what you were talking about. I don't remember a lick of it, but it when you're playing it, it definitely like fits in pretty well. Um, I'm bringing it back to Shadows of Adam. I think you kind of are have worked in that same thing of like it's very distinct. Each area has its own unique music that I really like. You know, you kind of get into it. And you're like, okay, well, this is completely different than what I was listening to before. And if I hadn't known any better, I would have thought maybe a couple people had composed the soundtrack to this, and it wasn't just the same person. Because, like I said, it wasn't like Matoy Sakuraba stuff where it's like, oh, this is all one guy. It's like, oh, this sounds a little bit different than this, and this is a little bit different than that. Yeah, and I think part of that might be well, kind of two reasons I could think of. I mean, one, since the game is relatively a shorter game. 10 to 16 hours i mean every area is pretty unique so um there's not like four different caves or anything like that there's like every level is completely aesthetically different thematically so uh, composing like radically different music is important and also um try not to reuse a lot of music so you get variety secondly i mean my musical training is all is uh, i studied jazz composition which i don't recommend anyone do that but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, no, it was great. Um, so I, I, I definitely have like a lot of like um, craftsmanship kind of chops. Like I, I know how to, like a, what I mean is like just kind of functional music chops. So like mm-hmm. I'm good at assignment. So like I would say probably my biggest strength is just as kind of a musical chameleon. I could write a lot of different styles. And Shadows of Adam kind of allowed me to do that. Um. I didn't want to give a shout out. I was mentioning earlier. I didn't want to make it sound like all new music is bad because that would be a ridiculous statement. <laughs> <laughs> There's some wonderful music. I just was kind of I was kind of thinking. And actually, you know, back to the symphony orchestra thing. I mean, um, like in film music, it's kind of been the same trend as well. It's been more like a sound massy since like uh, Inception, probably. But uh, John Williams is working with a symphony orchestra, and everyone remembers his music. Maybe my main point was I just miss like uh, I feel like. Like simple melodic music is perhaps like it's not hip enough anymore or something, or I don't know. But that's the music I like, I guess. Well, uh, first I want to say that the the track for the tangle at the very beginning is bumping, and I fucking oh, that. Oh, <laughs> I was I was really I, I was getting into that. It was it was. Uh, <laughs> but what I what I really <laughs> wanted to say is um, as again as someone who didn't grow up with the the sixteen bit stuff and the more melodic uh, compositions. I totally understand what you're saying because um, I didn't start appreciating video game music till I got older and started listening to the uh, to the to the older stuff, you know. <laughs> and then, it, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Anyway, and as you say, like the orchestral stuff is is re- it is it is really good. Like, but the difference between that and the melodic stuff and the orchestral stuff, I, I can listen to the, the opening track for like, um, like mass effect or halo. And I picture like the, I picture the menu when I, when right. I hear that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when you hear those other things, you picture gameplay, like, mm-hmm. like the, the Mario thing is specifically in tune with the game with, the, as you're playing the game. That's why it, 
melts into your brain way better than any of this other stuff does. And it's not that it's necessarily better. It's just I think it uses utilizes the fact that it's a game much better than the other stuff does. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to get crucified by other musicians. Like, I love orchestral music. Like, I actually was at a symphony concert last night, so, like, I'm not... hope no one thinks that what I'm saying is that orchestral music... I think it's more just the approach. Like, like I mentioned with John Williams, you could go for an orchestral palette and write wonderful, memorable music. Um, but there's just something about that older video game music. I think the limitations really did make them creative. Because when your sounds sound like shit, frankly, I mean... Who really wants to hear like little bleeps and bloops and chip tunes? Maybe people do. I don't know. Maybe you do, Jason. You're a little bit older than me. Yeah, I. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm teasing, of course. Don't. Yeah. No, this is going to be the big headline from the interview. Tyler Muir hates orchestral music and hates chip tunes. No, I. <laughs> my point being is that the limitations, you know, when they're working with such little hardware and such little file space, what the only playbook they have is to write really great melodies, right? right. Catch T music. They can't make textures. They can't make like, um, you know, texture-based music because it's just a blob like of lo-fi sounds. It wouldn't sound very good. So yeah, I guess um, I'll stop talking about that. That's oh, you're fine. <laughs> no, no, no. See, I, I actually, I'm a huge like video game music like dork. Like I, the amount of video game music that takes up uh, you know what my my hard drive is probably a little disturbing. I think I have like 800 and something albums on. Oh, a little nuts. Um, one of my favorite game music people or groups i guess is uh falcom sound team jdk uh, i don't know if you're familiar with them they do like very quick kind of fast-paced like action rpg music but they also like do a very good job of slowing stuff down and it's a lot of like rock with like violin in it and it's just like I, I listen to that while i'm at work or when i go running or whatever it really gets me pumped up but they also have like the very or like, a great ability to just kind of tone it down and just have like nice like quiet town music now a lot of the stuff that's a little bit more toned down like i i can't remember for the life of me but it's more like the the like the i guess the rocking stuff that i like really get into and you like your your boss theme music is probably going to end up getting into my rotation of like okay this is <laughs> my uh, this is my workout music now <laughs> uh, that uh yeah one of uh, one of the happiest days of my life well i'm being a little facetious but i was i did think this was kind of cool was someone uploaded the boss music in a 52-minute loop on YouTube. <laughs> and uh, when I saw the view count of 12 viewers, I knew I had made it. So, <laughs> No, but thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, that song was actually written in, like, when I first started going on the road with the Mavericks, we had, like, a four-week tour, so we were going all through Canada and stuff. So I had, like, a little MacBook Pro and a MIDI keyboard. So a lot of that was written in, like, green rooms and such. So that was probably written in, like, either green room or hotel room. Um, and I, I was actually trying to go for like a more like Final Fantasy Mystic Quest vibe. If, if you guys are familiar with the music in that game, it's pretty like rocking. Kind of like Mega Man meets, I don't know, prog rock or something. It's, it's, but yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. That game has a, a far better soundtrack than I think it deserves, honestly. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The Mystic Quest soundtrack is pretty killing. I mean, it's one of those like everyone's like, yeah, Mystic Quest sucks. But man, the soundtrack's good. <laughs> like that's just universally that's like a the 11th commandment i think is like like the mystic quest soundtrack is good that's not a commandment but i guess it's like a it's written in stone somewhere rather oh, yeah, yeah there it's it's one of the uh, tenement it's like one of the tenements of like permanent games to remember or game game stuff to remember so 
Um, you know, okay, so I, I do want to get on a little bit of the uh, of the story in a little bit here, but I did want to say whoever did your sprite work, they did not nearly use the, uh, like, the Kellen sprite where he just kind of, like, opens his mouth and drops his jaw and his eyes bug out nearly enough. I <laughs> love that sprite. I, I, uh, I yeah, want that as my funny. avatar on my, on my Twitter account now. <laughs> yeah, people will dig that for some reason. It's like in the opening scene, I think, and people always get a kick out of it. <laughs> and... Okay, so uh, kind of moving on to the story here. I, I do have to say the, I guess, relationship between Kellen and Talon is almost uncomfortable at times. I, I don't know, like, how much you guys really were, like, trying to make make that feel, but it really feels like those two, like, at times, like, really despise each other. Like, do not want to see each other make it through a fight. It's like, okay, if you fall in battle and I keep going, that's fine with me. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of baggage between those two. Yeah, the, Talon has a lot of bitterness towards Kellen for many reasons. I mean, I think Talon sort of sees Kellen as the guy who was kind of born with a silver spoon in his mouth because his father was so famous and Kellen seemed to be given everything. And Talon, you know, was born with debilitating sickness and he feels personally sort of abandoned by Azrael and he's, he, he kind of misreads that uh, Kellen and Azrael's relationship is somehow romantic, I think. Um, yeah, there's definitely some resentment, and I think Kellen doesn't see it that way. I mean, Kellen feels abandoned, too, because his father left him, and so he doesn't understand why Talon's on his case. At least this is how I read it. I didn't write this story, so I hope yeah. Luke thinks I did it justice. But yeah, I agree. It's definitely a, a, t- a tense relationship, um, kind of fueled by their immaturity as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, a, you know, Kellen's obviously kind of a wisecracking young guy. He, he kind of wears that on his sleeve. It's a, sort of a mask for the insecurity he feels, I believe. But uh, Talon, for as, like, smart and uh, talented as he thinks he is, is just as much of a kid. I mean, um, you can kind of see that in their back and forth. It's almost like two little brothers, like, getting in a, a fight at this, you know, at the yeah. playground or something. Yeah, there's just, there's just, like, some very specific moments in there where I was just like, Ooh, man, these two do not like each other. Like, you know, I've got a younger brother and we would, we would get into it, but man, sometimes those two, it's just like, Ooh, ooh, they do not like each other. So, um, John, I'm sure you've gotten to the point where you met the, uh, witch. Oh, geez. Larabeth. Yes. Yes. Uh, Larabeth, I think. Larabeth is, I say, okay, man, she is, uh, she's quite the character. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's, yeah. She's uh she's a she's a good example of uh, just how fun the writing in that game has been at least for me so far. I ho- I assume it it keeps going that way. It seems that um, I, I sorry I wasn't able to finish. Your, I have not been able to finish the game. I've been working on another game for the site too. So, uh, but yeah, she's she's been she was a treat. Even the the little the wraithling thing that 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 whole little that whole little th- that whole little uh, journey to the mist was pretty was uh, entertaining and and didn't feel. Like it, and didn't feel tedious because it went very, it went quickly, mm-hmm. which is what you guys were going for. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's straightforward. Yeah. Lord Beth's kind of a, a quirky character. Um, yeah. at first she was just sort of used as this uh, excuse to move the plot forward, but I think Luke worked her in a way that seemed organic and sort of tied into the story, in the sense that like, uh, there's a NPC in Adam that mentions her, somewhat they kind of banished her from town because they thought she was using magic power. Um, so there's that little angle too, but yeah, I always love the part where she like, uh, pushes Kellen out the way and starts 
oodling over Curtis, and there's like hearts. <laughs> yeah, because Curtis is just like this ripped dude, yeah. and she's like totally like hitting on him, and he has no idea what to say because he doesn't, you know, probably doesn't even want to be there at that moment. So <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I that is one thing. Um, I'm glad that the Curtis thing kind of pays off a little bit further down the road. Cause at first it just was like, why is he following these two? It makes yeah, no yeah. sense whatsoever. Yeah. I, I definitely have that question right now as to why, he, why he showed up in the first place. But yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, we took a little bit of a gamble on that. Um, I remember when we released our first demos that only went through the misty woods and then another demo we released went through, I think Borge, Borges when you enter the pirate ship and you really haven't still gotten a sense of why Curtis is there, but you, um, so we gambled on making it a long payoff, and I think that when people realize what his connection to the plot is, I think they'll be satisfied. He's he's a very unique, interesting character in my in my mind. He, like all the other characters, just kind of harbors this intense insecurity and guilt. You know, they I think they all all four of them kind of have their baggage, um, but he has probably the most, I would say, without spoiling anything. Yeah, um, I will say the uh, the. I guess it's not too big of a spoiler to really talk about it, but the the villain that you kind of meet um, eh, pretty early on, maybe a couple hours in, uh, Malville, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he reminds me very much of Kefka. <laughs> like I got yeah, a I got a definite good. Kefka sense on him. I was sort of half waiting for him to uh, tell one of his soldiers to like wipe the dirt off his shoes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess he's definitely got a Kefka kind of thing. He he. His uh, character arc kind of diverges from that path a little bit towards the end, but yeah, he he's a interesting villain for sure. I mean, he um, he's extremely power hungry, and um, but at the same time, he's like like extremely incompetent. So there's that kind of <laughs> dichotomy of like he's he's also very bitter as well because I mean he was the first mm-hmm. in line to become king. This isn't like explicitly said in the story, but if you talk to a lot of the town people in Jordora, they they mention how. When King Lindorf was ready to hand the throne off, he skipped over his firstborn son, which was Malville, to give the kingship to his younger brother. And Malville was, like, incredibly bitter about this. So, like, all the characters in Shadows of Adam, he's searching for, like, his own piece of power, and he thinks that's through the power of magic. So it's actually kind of interesting because him and Talon have a lot in common, except maybe Malville's a little more nefarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's... I, yeah, he like I said, he reminds me of Kefka, but he just has sort of that bumbling idiot bit to him that Kefka really doesn't have. Kefka just has that, like, oh, he seems kind of like a clown, but when you kind of get to know him, he's an absolute monster. Like, there is nothing right. redeeming about him. And, right. you know, Melville kind of feels, or, yeah, he, he feels like there's something redeemable about him. It just, it, yeah, well, we'll leave it at that. Oh, yeah, we, know, we hopefully don't spoil too much, but John will have that to look forward to. <laughs> I'm very. I'm, I am looking forward to it. Actually, it's been. I've enjoyed the game quite a bit so far. So, Ugh. yeah. Okay. So, um, John, do you have any other questions? I think I'm about tapped out here. Uh, yeah, I think. I think. Uh, I think I wanted to hear everything I wanted to hear. So. Yeah. So yeah. So let me. Uh, let me. Let me just say, like, I'm. Mm, okay. You. I. I told you where I was. About how much further do you think I have before I hit the end here? Oh, you're probably less than an hour away. Oh, okay. Okay, great. So, um, Yeah, based on what you told me, I think an hour at most. I can probably just go ahead and blow the review score that I'm going to give. is going to end up being like a 4 out of 5. Um, 
I really enjoyed this game a lot. I, it, like I said, it started off a little slow for me, and it was, was because I don't think I understood the battle system right away. But as soon as it clicked, man, I that battle system just hooked me in. Like you guys could do another game exactly like this and just have the same battle system, and I would, I, I, mm-hmm. I'd play this again, no problem. I even if you maybe add in a hard mode or anything like that or DLC, I'm, right. I'm in on this one. This is a, this was a lot of fun, and for a game to manage to actually take me away from Zelda. After I don't know that's how no it, easy ta- that's, uh, no easy task getting away from Zelda. Oh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, the site just came to a grinding halt when Zelda came out because, like, I was like, oh, I could <laughs> write something about Zelda, and I'm like, that would be like an hour. I'm not playing Zelda. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so for a game nice. to take me away from like you know one of my one of the most interesting entries in my favorite series and actually like capture me enough that like, Oh, I'm legitimately enjoying this and don't feel distracted constantly. Like I wonder if I can get an hour of Zelda in here real quick and maybe just hold off on this. Like, <laughs> hats off to you guys. You guys did a marvelous job. Oh, thank this game. you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Oh. Uh, actually, okay. I do have a question. I do, oh, I do ahead, have John. a question actually. Uh, it's really quick. Uh, do you guys have like any plans for the future right now? Or are you just kind of like enjoying being done with, with this, uh, at least for the time being? Uh, yeah, we have, we have a few small plans for shadows of Adam in the future. We are, um, we have one more Kickstarter backer, re- uh, fulfillment, which is, uh, was like a, a backer skill that you can find in your door. So we're going to be finishing that up, which is going to include like a battle arena, artifact crafting guild and then we're going to kind of couple that with like a dlc package which will include like okay. a, a difficulty mode perhaps and uh i don't want to overpromise yet we're still specking it out right now but we're hoping to have that done sometime in the summer but okay. yeah i mean we basically spent like the last month just uh enjoying some time away from yeah development. i could t- i could totally long- understand that yeah yeah great so this battle arena um is this just basically like you can just go in there and just beat the crap out of stuff uh, it's not fully spec'd out, but right now what it basically is, is like, as you complete different story or parts in the story, your access to different tiers in the battle arena, which basically are like, they take the hardest monsters from those areas and like, uh, add, like in, increase the challenge. So for instance, like after you, you beat the water garden or whatever, you'll fight like a series of water garden monsters and, and challenging formations with like some limitations applied. Like you might not be able to use items or you might, you have, 50 AP or something like that. And we're still working this out. Um, I don't want to overpromise, but that's kind of what we're aiming for. And uh, so it should be a lot of fun once it's done. Yeah, you definitely, definitely piqued my interest as soon as you said the word, uh, said the words, uh, you know, Battle Arena. I'm like, ooh, okay, cool. <laughs> exactly what I was hoping for. That was, that's it. It's right on the nail there. So, but yeah, that was, I was actually going to ask that same question, John. So good, good job yeah. on that one. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, anything you guys do in the future, I, Definitely going to keep an eye out because, I mean, for, you know, a first shot at anything to for you guys to have nailed down what you were going for so well, I think, is just impressive. I You rarely see somebody that can follow through on what they were wanting to do as far as keeping it, like, breezy and just, like I said at the beginning, respecting your time. And that, for me, like I said, as a 34-year-old guy with, you know, two kids is incredibly important and which is why i don't know if i'll ever finish final fantasy 15 as much as i enjoyed it (laughs) the game is great (laughs) yes yeah yeah, we we all liked it on the side it's just for me it was just too big i'm like i don't know if i'm ever gonna do this thing too many frogs to catch (laughs) too many (laughs) meals to cook or whatever (laughs) yeah there's too many too many new recipes to discover yeah great game especially with episode gladiolus coming out what tuesday is that i think oh wow 
Yeah, I believe I believe so. It's coming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I bought the season pass, fully expecting I probably will never get around to the DLC, but I'm just like, eh, you know, I like a game enough, I'll just toss money its way and just whatever. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, that about wraps up this episode. Uh, Tyler, uh, where can we find you on Twitter, on the internet, and just, yeah, anything else you want to plug? Sure. So our, our, our website's uh, www.shadowsofadam.com. You can find us on Twitter at something classic, but... It's spelled C-L-A-S-S-C, so there's no I. That's like actually something classic with an I is like a flower shop or something. <laughs> so th- those are the two best ways to find us. Or just search on uh, Google Shadows of Adam or something classic. We're uh, we're on Steam. We're selling on Steam. Very positive rating so far. Very proud of that. Uh, we're on Humble Bundle if you want DRM free. And I think we're also on Green Man Gaming, which is a PC-only site. So it's a couple options to get us. So uh, You know, one, one quick thing. This game, I would have now, and I know the system's effectively dead in the water, but this game, I think, would have been great on the Vita. I'm a big fan of the Vita, and this would have been great to have, like, played on that, or I guess, you know, now that it's out the Switch, too, but, you know. Yeah, we're looking at potential ports. It's just, uh, we're just trying to figure out, you know, return on investment, dev cost, and time commitments, but it's something we are looking at, so my official answer is never say never. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I've got a few friends in the industry, and I just I completely understand when you look at that stuff, and it's like, oh, look, would we sell enough to even make this worth the effort? So totally understand that. Right. So, all right, John, we can follow you on Twitter at John Lucero seven seven seven, and uh, we are gonna oh, go ahead. Sorry, man. Oh, I was gonna say, and we are gonna have some. Uh, I will have some Mass Effect stuff to talk about next week on the uh, on the podcast. I have a lot of things to say about that. <laughs> So I uh, look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll probably just have yeah. more Zelda to talk about maybe. <laughs> yeah. No, I've got, I've got some other stuff I got to get through actually for the, for review. So we should have a couple more things going up here. Thankfully, uh, the, I don't want to say the Zelda honeymoon period's over. So I think we should be able to get some regular content out that isn't Zelda related now at this point. So <laughs> thank you for uh, breaking that uh, for us because man, we needed something to, to sh- shake off that, <laughs> shake off the shackles of Zelda. So I do appreciate that. So, Tyler, thanks for joining us. And, um, you know, like I said, anytime you guys are looking at anything else, um, getting on Kickstarter, I mean, I don't know how much influence we could possibly have because after the success you had on there the first time and the success that you had with this game after it turned out, I can't imagine you wouldn't really have a problem getting back next time if you decided to do anything. But if you ever want to talk about a new game coming out that you're working on, we'd love to have you back on. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, awesome. All right, so that's been the Games Junk Podcast, and with our special guest, Tyler Meir, I nearly said, I don't know what I nearly said, <laughs> but... <laughs> Tyler Meyer. Te- yeah, there we go. Oh, man, I would have just, yeah, I could have totally screwed that up. And I've been your host, Jason Aurelio, and I'll talk to you guys. Later.